Worship is a place for us to be honest to God. Honest to God as he helps us to focus upon who he is and what he's done. Uh, We get to get away from our delusions of personal grandeur and get to his grandeur. And so as we look into his word this morning, before we do that, let's bow Let's bow our heads and hearts in prayer and talk to our great God. Father, what a privilege to be able to come into your presence today and to call the God of the universe Father. To be able to come to you today and to find in you a hiding place because of the work of Christ, our Savior. Lord, you know us and you know we need to look at you. And so right now we bow before you and we we recognize that you are high and holy and lifted up. You are the lawgiver. You are the, the creator. You are the one who is holy and righteous in all ways. Holy, holy, holy. And we are not. And so today we humble ourselves as we come to you and the work of and in the merit of and in the presence of Christ, Father, who sits at your right hand. And by your spirit, we worship. And by your spirit, we want to hear from you today to see your awesome glory and to allow that glory to seep into our souls. As we have sung today, you know, we have said and we declare that we are sinners and and we come thankful for the work of Christ. And so we confess our sins. Lord, you know, every one of us, you know, the sins that we've confessed, the sins we know about, the sins that we were intentional about and the sins that we slipped into. You also know the sins that we don't even know we've committed. And so, Lord, we come to you clothed in the righteousness of Christ, thankful for that righteousness, and pray that you would meet us, that you would speak to us, for we're needy people. And Father, you know our church family, you know the needs through the school, you know the need for healing, you know Maggie's need today for your close touch, you know all of us. And so we come into your presence, thankful that you forgive Thankful that your grace is real. Thank you that the gospel is real. And now as we look into your word, we pray that you would make yourself more real to us. So we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins. Use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth that our attention could be focused upon you. And we're grateful for this time as we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, Orangewood, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm here. I'm up here, so I'm glad somebody is out there. And uh, I am glad you're here uh, today. I, I, but the question uh, before the house, in a sense, is why are you here? We know what we're doing. We worship God. Uh, we know we're looking into God's Word. We're going to listen to the Bible read and explained and applied. So we know what we're doing, in a sense. And the question is, why are we doing it? Why why are you here? Some of you asked that question this morning when you're getting, why am I going again? It's early. I'd rather have another cup of coffee. But it's important. The why question is always important. Some of you may be here. I mean, it might, just might be that some of you are here because you think that in some way this worship service is going to help you in your road to perfection, Christian perfection. And if that is your goal, uh, be here today because this service can somehow help you in your road to getting perfect so God would accept you. I, you're, in, you're in luck. 
It's a Presbyterian. It's one of my favorite words. You're in love. I read a book this week called How to Be a Perfect Christian by the people from the Babylonian Bee. I'm not quite sure who they are, but they're satirists, and I'm sure they're not reformed, <laughs> whatever that means. But so, so they ask the question, what is a perfect Christian? We asked three biblical scholars and theologians this question, they said. And then in the footnote, it says, there is a chance they were all cult members in a remote compound in Idaho, but they seemed like pretty nice guys, so we're confident they're correct. <laughs> we asked three biblical scholars and theologians this question, and in our extensive research, we found that a perfect Christian is one who conforms to the man-made standards of the Christian faith in any given age. Conforming to the status quo is the goal. Living out your faith in the way cultural Christianity dictates is the only way you'll truly be satisfied in your Christian walk. And all of us would say, yeah, eh, not. Uh, but, but, you know, the reality is uh, conforming to the man-made standards of the Christian faith in any given age points out, they get our attention in one sense, in, in that we are so influenced by the cultural Christianity around us, by our particular church, by our particular evangelical community, so that we do begin to define Christianity in terms of what is the acceptable practice here? What does everybody else say is right? And so if we do those things, then we are right with God and we are right and we're on the way to perfection, except that Christianity is not about us being perfect, is it? Christianity has nothing to do uh, with us gaining perfection so that we can gain acceptance. It has everything to do with imperfect people who know they're imperfect and never have the possibility of even prox getting uh, proximity to perfection by ourselves. We know. We sang it this morning. Did you hear it several times? We're sinners. Yeah. It was perfect, perfect setup for this sermon. And so the reality is Christianity always starts out with bad news, doesn't it? You and I are sinners. And it then goes to the good news is that someone has come to be the perfect sin bearer, curse taker for us. And his name is Jesus. That's why we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today. It's all about what Jesus has done and not what we have done. So if you're here today and hoping that this service will add another brick uh, to your uh, pathway to perfection, it won't. It won't help. and I can't help you. By the way, student, I need to say this, though, by way of clarification. Students, that doesn't mean don't, don't come to church, right? I need to make a clarification here. There are good habits, bad habits, and holy habits, right? Is church a holy habit? Is church a good habit? Should we come? Absolutely, but not to gain, not to gain our salvation or to add a brick to our path toward perfection, but in recognition that we need grace, that we need the God of the universe, that we need to remember who we are in Christ and rejoice in the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ for us. And so that's why we come. And um, now, if some of you maybe got up today and said, I'm coming to church because I want to be happier. You're in the right place. You say, oh, and it sounded like Norman Vincent Peale here, power of positive thinking, all that kind of stuff. But no, no, seriously. If you have come to become a happier person, you're in the right place. 
because the gospel is all about that. Now, some of you think I've really stepped into heresy. Good. I've got your attention. Uh, Let's look at God's word as we turn to Psalm 32. And we're going to look at it because, because becoming happy is the thrust of our service today. Uh, and I want you to know that, okay? Right at the I don't want you to be in, 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 in a fog. We're about being happy. We're going to talk about that. And how do we become happy? So here it is, Psalm 32. Uh, it's, listen to these honest words that David speaks to us about happiness. And every time you hear the word blessed, I want you to translate that into the word happy. Blessed, happy. Blessed, happy. They're synonyms, biblically speaking, and we'll talk about that. Psalm 32, it says, a mascal of David. And some of you are saying, what is a mascal? I've heard of a psalm. What is a mascal? Frankly, scholars don't know that I just tell you that at the upfront. It's a word that's connected to the idea of wisdom and of gaining knowledge, but they don't really know for sure. There's uh, about 13 psalms that are called mascals. There it is. This is a mascal of David. But I can tell you it is God's word. Here it is. Verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent about my, uh, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's holy word to us. Thanks be to God. Well, talk show host Dennis Prager, maybe some of you hear him from time to time, Jewish talk show host Dennis Prager, uh, was asked... uh, because he lives in Southern California, he was asked to, to come to UCLA and give a, a message by a, a clergyman who happened to be working on campus at the time. He said, come and, get, and give a message and speak uh, to, to our students. And so he, uh, he said, well, I suspect you want me to talk about religion, right? And the, uh, the, the clergyman said, no, 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 no. No one will show up if you talk about religion. He said, I would like you to speak on a light subject, and so this, so Dennis, you know, Dennis Prager says, what, what light subject do you want me to talk about? And the, the pastor said, like happiness, for instance. And, and Prager says, Prager says, happiness is not a light subject. Happiness is a serious problem. And the pastor with an eye to marketing said, that's a great title. 
That's a great, let's use that. And so he wrote a book, actually, Happiness is a Serious Problem. For a whole decade, Dennis Prager spent nothing but talking about happiness. And if you listen to his, uh, his, 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 his radio show, he has every, I think it's every Friday, he has the happiness hour. And he talks about happiness. This is what he said in chapter one. He said, we tend to think that we owe it to ourselves to be as happy as we can be. And this is true. But happiness is far more than a personal concern. It is also a moral obligation. How about that, sports fans? And, And then he goes on. He says, after one of my talks on happiness, a woman in the audience stood up and said, I only wish my husband had come to this talk. How many times you go home and say, I wish so-and-so was here. Um, I only wish my husband had come to this talk. He had chosen to attend a talk on business instead. She explained that he was the unhappy one in their relationship and that much as she loved him, it was not easy being married to an unhappy person. The woman enabled me to put into words what I've been searching for, the altruistic, in addition to the obvious personal reasons to take happiness seriously. I told the woman in the audience that she was right. Her husband should have attended the talk because he had a moral obligation to his daily partner in life to be as happy as he could be. What do you think? Some of you are saying, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go on record on this. I think he's right. But I think he's right maybe for the reasons that we need to think and explore more in the gospel. I told you about the woman who was in counseling and the counselor said to her, do you wake up grumpy every morning? She said, no, I let him sleep in. (laughs) And that resonates with some of us. We've developed a lifestyle of grumpiness. Is that consistent with the gospel of grace? I submit it is not. And so every one of us wants to be happy. So let's, let's, uh, let's look at the first question here. The first point, who is truly happy? David answers it. Who's truly happy? He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is covered, whose sin is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord accounts no iniquity. Who is truly happy and blessed? They're synonyms. If you are happy, you are blessed. And if you are blessed, you are happy. Happiness is an emotional state, but it goes deeper than that. And some of you, I know you're going to say this because I preached it. You should be talking about joy, not happiness, because happiness is dependent upon happenings. I know, I know, I get it, I get it. But blessedness can be translated happiness and joy. They're interrelated, aren't they? Say yes. Thank you. They are. They are related, and we need to understand that. And, and so what, what the Bible says that is so important for us to understand is that happiness and joy, the emotional, the emotional good feelings and the deep good feelings are related not to happenings. They're related to what we do with sin. That's what David's big point is. And so here we are back to, to the essential nature of the gospel and the essential nature of the Bible. The Bible always has the simple answers to everything and the clear answers to everything. Ultimately, happiness is based on what we do with sin. And of course, God created a perfect world, right? Genesis 1, we've talked about that. Perfect world. And at the end of the day, at the end of Genesis, he looked at all that he created. He said, it is good. God creates perfection so that perfect people can enjoy 
perfection, enjoy, be blessed by perfection, experience happiness in perfection, right? Yeah. And then the two people that he put in charge of the moral order blew it up. Adam gets the blame because he's uh, the, the, the federal head of the human race. I have it on good authority that Eve had something to do with it as well. And it's important for us to understand that though God created ha- perfection for blessedness, for happiness, for joyfulness, and we blew it up, the reality is Adam gets the blame and Adam passed that down to us. We are sinners because we are inheritors of Adamic sin, right? We got that. The, the original, this is where we get theologically kind of messed up. The original sin, the first sin was Adam, sin, and, and then we inherit his guilt and sinful tendency, so we sin, right? We, we, we sin because we're sinners. That's who we are. We're born that way. And if you let that sink in, those of you who have young kids and those of you who have grandkids, you know I'm, I'm telling the truth because that's the way it is. Um, you look around and it's everywhere. We're born. You know, one thing I like about you guys is you are some of the nicest sinners I have ever met. I really like you guys a lot. I've come to love you. You've loved me and my sinfulness and stuff. But we're all sinners. And so when we sang that song this morning, that's us. We are. We really are. Now, there's one of the problems that we face in American culture today. It used to be accepted in American culture that everybody was a sinner. No longer the case. And it's affected our political dialogue because we have a whole lot of people who don't think that they're sinners. They think they're elites. In both parties, there's elites in both of the political parties. And they think that they're elites. They think they're better than us and that they don't sin and we ought to follow them. And that's a big problem. And, uh, and, so, and so we have this idea in American culture uh, as Christians that we are, we are sinners. We accept that. But a lot of people, a lot of people think they're not. And we get criticism and pushback from people, don't we? We get pushback. Have you ever had somebody say to you, you Christians always think you're better than everybody else? Have you ever heard that from somebody? You Christians are so arrogant. You think you're better. And and push back on that, will you, next time? Do we really believe that? Is that a part of our core belief that we think that we're perfect and better than everybody else? No, of course not. The starting point for a Christian is we know we're sinners like everybody else and that we've been forgiven. So next time, by the way, you get into a situation and somebody says, you Christians, be bold and say, no, we're just like you. We're all sinners. And, but we found, we found the antidote to sin that destroys happiness and destroys a life. And his name is Jesus. Because we all are sinners, including ministers. I was in, I told you a few weeks ago that I spoke in Maine. I was, it was either the weekend that uh, Joe preached or Chuck preached. Uh, and I was coming back from speaking in Maine and I had left Portland, Maine's airport and flew to Charlotte right after the hurricane. You know, I told you that and I was in the airport in Charlotte, North Carolina, for hours waiting for my next flight 
here uh, hours, and they kept canceling them. And, and so there I am in the airport. It's 1230 Monday morning. I'm still in the airport. Poor me. And um, I'm, just, I'm just standing there all by my, just kind of like this, kind of like I dress and had my backpack on just waiting, 1230 in the morning, just waiting for the plane to land. And this guy comes walking up to me, comes walking up, is kind of an old guy with a baseball cap on, gray hair, big nose. A little shorter than me, a little overweight, comes walking up to me and he goes, you Italian? <laughs> I said, no, no, I, I got a quarter Venezuelan, but I, I, I like Italians. It's my ethnicity of choice. And he said, <laughs> he said, he said, no, no, you don't want to be an Italian. Then he looks at me and again, he goes, you a bad guy? Are you a gangster? I kid you not. You can't make this stuff up. I'm, I'm looking at him and I go, well, um, he says, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, you don't look like a pastor. I said, thank you very much. That's a compliment. I don't want to look like a pastor, whatever they look like. And he says, you look like you're in shape. He goes, I don't, I'm not in shape. I don't have abs. And I, I kid you not, what he does is he picks up his shirt and he shows me his belly. He has tattooed abs onto his gut. It's getting a little weird. So I say, okay, so tell me what you do. And he goes, I just got out of prison. I go, really? He goes, yeah, I just got out of prison. And I go, uh, what, why'd you go to prison? He goes, uh, gun charge, the government set it up. It was not, it was, I was set up, man. I was, it was set up. I was in prison. Yeah, so what have you been doing? What do you do? Are you a salesman? What do you do? He goes, no, nah, I used to sell marijuana. I never smoked it because we didn't smoke it, but we sold it. I made a lot of money. Then my wife died. And then, then I went to prison for the marijuana stuff. And then I was out for a long time and I got remarried and then, you know, um, moved to Florida. I go, where are you from? Philly. Oh, okay, Philly. He goes, and, and, uh, and he's talking about like he's, like he's a, a bad guy, like he's a gangster. And I'm going, this, this is not... This guy, I go, he goes, whips out his card that he had in prison. And I said, show me your luggage. He walks over the luggage. He's got a net bag. I think the guy really did just get out of prison. I'm beginning to believe him. And, and we're talking. And he goes back and forth. And he goes, he goes uh, do you know Michael Francis? And I said, I do know Michael Francis. He spoke at my church. And I'm, do, I'm speaking with him in Alabama next year at a men's event. Michael Francis was in the mafia and got out without getting killed. Because I knew Michael when he was in. Oh, really? Yeah. You're flying back to Orlando. Where, where do you live? Do you live in Orlando? Because I was going to invite him to Orangewood. He would fit right in. Just fit right <laughs> So good. And uh, he goes, no, I live in Crystal River. I go, I have got a church for you. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to my friend, Ray Cortez. You go, you go to that church, uh, Seven Rivers uh, Presbyterian. You go up and tell him, Pete sent you. <laughs> <laughs> It was the greatest thing. And then I got back. I got back and got some sleep. And then I got up and got to my computer and I checked it out online. You know what? Sucker was not lying to me. As I followed this guy, it kept saying to me, 
you'll be surprised when you find out more about him. I said, well, I think I do know a little bit about him. I moved the previous questions he gave me. Are you Italian? No. Are you a bad guy? Yeah. My wife said, Pete, you draw the finest people. <laughs> he saw something in me that he could identify with. I am a bad guy. And I need a savior. And David knew that he was a bad guy. And needed a savior. We're all bad guys. And need a savior. And, um, and the bad thing about being a sinner is that you end up a lot like this guy. Talking, 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 doing stuff that he's doing, going through life, separated from God, separated from people, making one bad mistake after the other. Not really having a clue. See, sin, sin is dark. A daughter you don't really get to see, the time in prison... The, we put, we put ourselves in prison. Then there's eternity separated from God. Sin is, it's a bad thing. Who's truly happy? Those who deal with sin and get on the right side of it with God. So David moves on. After telling us who is truly happy, he tells us his story. And he picks up steam here in this psalm. It begins to move a little bit quicker because uh, he tells his story in verses 3 through 5. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is David's story of happiness and unhappiness, his search for both. And, and when David, David's experience that he's sharing with us, he's being honest with us, is when he didn't deal with his sin, he became very, very depressed and discouraged because guilt weighs on the human heart. Guilt will destroy you. And if you read Psalm 51, which is really his classic psalm about how he dealt with his own sin, when he, when he had an immoral relationship with Bathsheba, when he killed one of his good friends, when he was lying to the people of Israel, he was a murderer, an adulterer in a position of ultimate authority in Israel. What a, what a terrible situation. In Psalm 51, look what guilt did to him. He, kept, he said, wash me thoroughly. Wash me thoroughly because I'm dirty. I got blood on my hands and I can't get it off myself. Cleanse me from my sin. My sin is ever before me, he says in Psalm 51. See, when you're wrapped up in guilt, if you've been in it, your guilt is before you. It's always before you. You can't get away. He says, purify me. Wash me. Make me hear. Make me to hear joy and gladness again. When there's guilt, uh, there isn't joy. There isn't gladness. Uh, Blot out all my iniquities. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O oh God. And David just goes on. He says, I, I acknowledge my sin to you. 
and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Is that cool or what? That's his story. Who's happy? Who's truly happy? The person who really deals with sin, who takes it on, who doesn't try to find happiness in other places, but who, who really deals with the sin issue. And then we learn from David, his example, that that's how he got relieved from the guilt. And then he says that can happen for us too. He talks about our path to happiness now, verses 6 through 11. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. For your hiding place to me, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What David is teaching us here is that true happiness, blessedness, joyfulness, gladness can be found for the person who brings their sin to God and confesses it quickly. Uh, I like that. In fact, that, that, by way of application, and this is an application psalm, it's a maskal. It really helps us because, because David is telling us that when we see the sins in ourselves, when we see our own idols, confess fast. Confess quickly. I like that. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about when we see our sins, when our idols come in front of us, when we, when our sin is so clear to us, he says, deal with it quickly, confess it quickly. That's so important for us to understand. God, you know, the gospel, by the way, David looked ahead to the coming of Messiah. He was the forerunner of Messiah, wasn't he? We look back in faith. David looked ahead in faith. We look back in faith. Messiah has come. He's come to the cross. He's done everything necessary for us. And because God poured his anger out on his son, he's not angry at you. But some of us still think he is angry at us. But as we walk with him, he tells us, confess quick. Students, let me, here, here's a challenge for you. Because this is so important for you. Learn this early in life as you walk with Jesus, and as you deal with people out in the world, when you mess up, confess it quickly. If you start young, it gets easier. It becomes a pattern. Hey, I'm sorry. I messed up. God, I sinned. Would you forgive me? Develop this quickly, because if you don't, you'll, you'll get into the habit of games and playing, uh, playing a game, and that doesn't work, right? It's much better for us at a younger age to learn to confess our sins quickly. Yeah, dad, I was wrong. Yeah, mom, I know it's hateful to even think that way. But it's the way of freedom. And we older ones can learn from that as well. Um, I had a, a talk with Jesus this week. Jesus had a talk with me this week. I come to Jesus talk. It was early in the morning, my daily appointment with God. And, and he said, so let's talk about your heart. I didn't hear a voice. I'm a Presbyterian. We don't hear voices. Well, maybe I did. He said, what about your attitude toward so-and-so? So what about it? Well, my attitude is this, that he's a brother in Christ. He's doing what, some of the things I'm doing in the city, and he was thwarting some of the things I was doing in the city. And it ticked me off in Jesus' name. 
And he said, you need to love him. You need to forgive him. All right. Confess fast. (laughs) But it took another half an hour for my heart to get right. But he has the ability to do this. I I love that. This past week, we talked about idols of temperament uh, in in our men's group that that I speak of. And and some of us in our temper, there's idols of temperament, idols of preference, idols of politics, idols of time, idols, all kinds of idols, right? Uh, And idols of temperament are, uh, if you're strong, you want to control everything and you can't. If you're uh, you're one of these expressive individuals, you want people to like you and you want approval and you can't always control that. And if you're an amiable, you don't want much change uh, and you want your life to kind of go smooth and it's not going to. And uh, if you're a melancholy, you want to be right and you won't always be right. We got all kinds of idols. What are your idols? David knew his control, power, sex. And he learned to confess quickly. A lot of our unhappiness, this is what I've learned. A lot of our unhappiness is not due to other people. A lot of our unhappiness, shall I say the bulk of it? is what our sin produces and how it hurts our relationships and how it leads us astray. I was unhappy because my brother in Christ had done some things I didn't like. You know what? When I forgave him, and I realized this morning I have another layer of forgiveness, so I'm not there yet completely. I'm getting there. But I'm freer and I'm happier when I'm not guilty And when sin is being dealt with, David's been teaching us that. Um, And so we need to know our idols. Ladies, can I speak to you for a second? We live in a golden age for women. This is a wonderful time to be a woman. I got a daughter. uh, I got a wife. Got two daughters-in-law. Three granddaughters. It's a great time to be a girl. But we almost live in a time where women can do no wrong. And we men, by the way, feel it, that we live in a culture that women are always right and men are always wrong. It's not true. I just thought I'd bring that up. David says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and sure to, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? All of us are sinners, but in Christ, we are all forgiven, male and female, students uh, and old people alike, we're forgiven. And so confessing fast is being honest to God. It's the only way to live. Real quick then, he goes on and he says, you're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Rest assured. David is saying, once you've confessed, rest assured. Far too many of us confess our sins and then we walk around with guilt all the time. What is that about? We don't ever get grace. We're never living in grace. We're never living as forgiven people. David says, rest assured. If you confess it, if you got stuff to work out, you got people you need to talk to, talk to them, deal with it. But hold your head up as a forgiven person and move on. Rest assured. Uh, 
All we sinners sing. We sang this morning. Why do we sing? We sing because of the deliverance we have in Christ. So if you confess your sins, hold your head up and say, I'm a sinner, but I'm forgiven. I'm deeply loved by God, rest assured. Now catch this, before we do communion, before Chuck comes up here and, does, and, and gets us ready for communion, Romans 3, 20, 21. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all those who believe. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by the grace that is in Christ, resting assured. What is, the Westminster Confession says, what is the chief end of man and women? To glorify God and enjoy him. And we Presbyterians focus on the first part and forget the second. I got to glorify God. I got to glorify God today. I got to glorify God today. I flip it. You got to enjoy God today because of what Christ has done for us. And then you will glorify him. Confess fast, rest assured, keep listening. Verse eight, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. Verse eight is one of my life verses. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. As God brings us into seeing ourselves, he keeps developing us. On my desk, I have a three by five card that says, what are you teaching me today? How am I growing today? Uh, And then, Don't worry, be happy. I know, I know it's a song. Don't worry. Verse 10, it's an old song. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad and in the Lord, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. A righteous shout for joy. You know, according to the Old Testament and the New Testament, that if you have faith in Christ, you are the righteous. Are you perfect? Are you righteous? You say, well, I'm not perfect. In the Old Testament, the idea of a righteous person is one who moves toward God because God has moved toward him or her. And we're seeking to follow him. So in Christ, we are the righteous and we follow him. Don't worry. Be happy. Rejoice. Raise your hands. Be thankful. Guys, I've talked to students, I've talked to women. Guys, I want to talk to you for a second. We need tough guys. We need more tough guys. You say, well, that's because your ministry is to men. No, we need tough guys because there's too many passive guys. There's too many guys that don't understand the grace of the gospel and how that sends us out to live for him out there. We need some tough guys. But as you understand how grace can make you tougher, it'll make you tougher if you understand that it'll help you face yourself better. I can face my own sin because Jesus loves me and paid for it. And I don't have to play games. And I can say, yep, I did that. I'm sorry. I did that. That's who I am. Men, reserve your harshest words for yourself. Be demanding more of yourself than on your wives and kids. Be tougher on yourself because grace makes you that way. And tender, tough, tender. Because of what God has done for us. 
Grace allows us this process of growth. So I went over a little bit. Chuck, get ready. I'm almost done. So we had a church planner speak to my guys on Thursday at Forge. He's planting a church in Oxford, Oxford, England, where the world comes to study. And gifted guy, gifted speaker, gifted young man. And, and, and as he was talking uh, to, to the guys, and we did a little Q&A afterwards, one of the guys said, hey, what, what are you, you going to do in Oxford to really, what's your plan to get the gospel out there? Really, what's your slick plan to get the gospel out there? Uh, and he said, I don't have any slick plan. I'm just going to preach the gospel because nobody ever hears it. We're sinners. We're going to hell. But there's a Savior. And his name is Jesus. Turn to him and you'll be free. You'll be free. That's for us too. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you. We think we're good, but we're not. But we are righteous in you. And we pray that your grace would overwhelm us now as we take of the Lord's Supper. Would you prepare us? Would you enable us to enjoy being forgiven children because of what you and only you have accomplished. And we give you great praise as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.